Well, if you're not there yet, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 9. You know, I wasn't sure if Brother David was going to come up and read tonight, but since it was only one verse, he jumped right up. So, appreciate that, Brother David. Um, I think if it was like a 20-verse, you know, passage, he would have just said, go ahead, Brother Craig, you got that. So, but Acts chapter 9 and verse 31, um, I was recently studying uh, the book of Acts, actually I still am, and came across this verse, and it, it again just jumped off the, the page at me. Again, it says, then the churches had rest. And really, I, I stopped right there, you know, and, and began thinking about what it meant for a, a church to have rest. And, and really, the title, the title of the message is, what does a revived, healthy church look like? And I think to begin to answer that question is, it's a church that's at rest. And I want to I point out a couple of things here just really by way of, of an introduction to just say the, that the church can, can be at rest in two different situations. First of all, when there are times of peace, prosperity, and safety. You know, the word, the word rest in, in the verse that, that we just read literally just means a state of tranquility. And that's what the churches were in, in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Um, they, they were experiencing at this time, really after a time of, of very, very difficult trials. They, this was a time of rest that was a much needed rest. Uh, when you think about it, um, for close to two years, they had, they had been through much trial and persecution. Uh, they had seen Jesus crucified buried, and then raise again and, and ascend into heaven. And anyone in Jerusalem who, who spoke of his name or, or showed any, any, um, any, any way in which they would lean toward Jesus in any way, any intent of that you know, to continue was basically to be a target. Um, you were a target. The day, then the day of Pentecost and, and further preaching by Peter, and the apostles led to thousands being saved and added to the church, which obviously was a wonderful thing. But this movement of, of Jesus Christ, of the gospel, was constantly being attacked, ridiculed, and persecuted. The apostles themselves were arrested and commanded to, to stop speaking in Christ's name. And they were admitted to prison and beaten. It just turn back a few pages to chapter 5. And look at, look at verse 40, Acts chapter 5 and verse 40. It says this, And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then look what verse 41 and verse 42 says, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to preach and teach Jesus Christ, despite the persecution, despite how they were treated physically, mentally, and so forth. They continued preaching and teaching the name of Jesus Christ. And then Saul of Tarsus arrives on the scene, and the first mention of him is, is that he is consenting unto Stephen's death. If you look at chapter 8 in verse 1, again, we looked at this for a moment this morning, the death of Stephen, his martyrdom, the first one. And then beginning of verse 8 says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. 
And then if you look at verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men or dragging men and women and committing them to prison. So this this was a needed rest that the church was was going to be given for a few years here. Paul eventually back up then on the on the road to Damascus miraculously Jesus appears before Paul and he is converted and is commissioned to preach Christ the very name that he had tried to destroy and anyone associated with it and then Paul would eventually return to Jerusalem and boldly preaches in the name of the Lord Jesus there and 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 he himself sees persecution in fact a group of uh, what the Bible calls Grecians, Greek-speaking Jews, uh, sought him to kill him. So he ends up escaping back to his hometown, to Tarsus. And then as we see here, this is the period, the very beginning of a period of about seven to ten years where there was largely a state of rest for the church. And again, this was a much-needed breath of fresh air for a church, for a group of people, of, of followers of Christ that had seen much persecution and much trial and difficulty this newly birthed church needed some rest, and this gave them time to grow and solidify the Lord's doctrine, which, which led to the growth of the churches, which we'll, we'll continue to look at. You know, and just speaking of this, I would say that, that our church here at Northern Kentucky Baptist Church, I would say is experiencing a time of rest. We're seeing the church grow, the Lord's blessing in a number of ways. But over the 43 years of the history of Northern Kentucky Baptist Church, there, there have been ups and downs. You know, you've heard preacher talk about it with illustrations and sermons that he that he gives, and in, in really in in recent times when when the church here was split and people left, there were trials. But thank God, He has chosen to give us a a relative period of rest again for the time being. But but this is not always going to be the case. You know, it, it praise the Lord that we're in a time of rest. But we also need to be very, very diligent and be very um, aware that that time of rest may, may end. And we need to be ready. We need to be ready for what Satan is going to do. You know, he is always behind the scenes scheming and, and doing everything that he can to disrupt what we are seeing right now. And that's a time of rest. Now, so the church can be at rest when, when there are times of peace, but there can also be rest when trials persecutions come you know our our idea of peace and rest should not only be centered on the times that are easy on the times that are going well on the times when when things are seemingly you know being our our rest should come and really should never leave even when trials and persecution come we can still be at rest we can rest in him because he encourages us that we can glory in tribulation Romans chapter 5, you know these verses. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this, And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. You know, regardless of what's going on around us, I talked a little bit about this this morning, our rest is in a position to not change. We can continue to rest. We can continue to have peace as long as our eyes are upon Him. You know, He puts trials and tribulations and difficulties in our lives really to test if we're going to be patient and wait on Him. 
to, to see if we're going to see Him through it. To see if we're going to, to grow and understand what the trial and tribulation is about so that we can draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ through it. He puts those things there for a reason. James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Wanting nothing. Wanting nothing. We can be in the midst of a difficult time and want nothing. Desire that nothing would change. You know, that's, that's against our, our will. That's against our flesh. When we're in the middle of a trial, we, we typically want some things to change. But the Bible says there that we can want nothing. We can be in the midst of it and want nothing. We can be at rest knowing that God is at work and, and orchestrating everything around us. All right, we just looked at uh, uh, Acts chapter 8. Look at verse 4. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. It says this, and again, let me back up to verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. And then look what verse 4 says. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So despite how they were being treated, really what it did was give them an opportunity yes, to kind of flee the persecution that was going on in Jerusalem, but it gave them an opportunity to spread out to other places and tell more people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's really our attitude. What it, when there's persecution going on, when there's difficulties going on, it cannot stop from what the Lord has called us to do. It cannot stop us from obeying. It cannot stop us from, from still showing up every single day to honor the Lord. And that's what we are called to do. This, uh, this sound, that sounds like to me that in the midst of persecution, went elsewhere and talked about the Lord. It sounds like to me that they took Jesus Christ very seriously. They took the difficulty as an opportunity to expand the kingdom of God and the gospel message. They glorified in their Savior despite the circumstances. So how, how about us? How about us this evening? Are we at rest whether things are smooth or bumpy? I, I just said our church is, is going through a relative period of rest, but maybe in your personal life, there's really not a whole lot of, of seeming rest. Maybe, maybe things are not real calm. Are we, despite those circumstances, resting in Christ by continuing to do what He has called us to do? Are we doing that? Are we, or are we ready to just quit? Have we already quit? You know, was there a time when you can look back and say, you know what, I was consistent in my daily devotions. I was, I was gaining and gleaning things from the, from the Bible. Was there a time when I was having a, a wonderful season of prayer every single day, and maybe now that has slipped away? You know, one of the, message that, one of the messages that Brother Willette preached this past week just talked about that very idea of things like that just slipping, Okay. We don't wake up one morning and, and say, you know what, I'm done reading the Bible. I'm done praying. I'm, I'm, I'm done being consistent in church. It, it's, it's a gradual process. It's a slow fade that, that we fade away from the Lord. And maybe, maybe we're slipping right now. And maybe we need to just, first of all, identify the fact that that's where we're at. That we're slipping. You know, it's, again, it doesn't happen overnight. We've got to identify those things. And, but again, despite what's going on, you know, are we just going through the motions 
with the wrong attitude. Let's rest this evening in our Savior regardless of our circumstances. And let's be aware of the fact that we could be slipping. So let's, let's go ahead and, and get to the question at hand, the title of the, of the sermon tonight. What does a revived, healthy church really look like? A church that is resting look like, again, despite the circumstances. Well, let's look at number one, and, and we're going to go back to Acts chapter 9 and verse 31 and look at some things here. Number one, a revived, healthy church is edified. The verse says in Acts 9.31, and were edified. They were edified. The word, the word edified means to build up from the foundation or to restore by building, to rebuild or repair. That's really what the, the, the crux of what the word edified is all about. So the first thing I want you to notice here is that we must continuously be building upon the foundation. And notice that that, that word foundation is a capital F. Because our foundation is Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here this evening and, and you're a saved Christian, you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then your foundation is laid. It is set. It will never change. That foundation is not going to ever go away. That's Jesus Christ. But what we are called to do is to build upon that foundation. Well, the question tonight is, is what are we building on that foundation? We're going to look at some things here, but the goal of each member of the church should be daily growth. Daily adding to that foundation. Adding to that foundation the gold and silver and precious stones that, that 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about. Because unfortunately, there are times when we add and build to the foundation the wood, hay, and stubble that easily blows away, that easily burns when any kind of trial or affliction comes. So what is it that we are building upon our foundation? And you know really what it boils down to? What we are building upon our foundation is just simply our testimony. When people look at us, they see what is being built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And that testimony sometimes can, can make or break our influence for Him. When people have an, any idea that we go to church or that we claim to be a Christian, there, there is a light that is shining upon us and people are watching what we do, how we behave, how we react to things, the words that we say. You know, I, I was, I, the, this just kind of entered into my mind um, not, too, not too long ago. Brother Tony kind of had a rough day at work, had a long day and, and some, some bullets were actually fly, flying through the air there. Um, kind, of a, kind of a difficult situation. And I, I remember sending him a text and just telling him that, that we, had been, we were praying for him. And, and I just told him, you know, look, look for the Lord in those details. Look for the Lord in, the de- in those details. When we ha- have difficult situations like that come up, people are going to watch. People are going are to pay attention to how we handle situations like that, especially when, when they know that we're a Christian. When they, when they look at us through a difficult situation, do we point them to Christ or do we just point them to the world like anybody else would behave in a situation like that? Our testimony is of the utmost importance. And that's really what we are building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ is our testimony. And it's, it's, it's either a bad or a good testimony. There's really nothing in between. It's either a good or a bad testimony. You see, we are all, again, building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. 
It's set. The foundation is set. We, it cannot be taken away, but what we build upon it is up to us. So we must continuously build, be building upon the foundation, doing everything we can to obey. And then the second thing, there are sometimes we must repair, restore, or rebuild what is on the foundation. And I want you to turn with me to this passage of Scripture in Ecclesiastes for just a moment. It's an interesting verse here. you got Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 18. I wonder if this verse describes tonight what it is that we're building upon our foundation. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 18. Here's what the Bible says. By much slothfulness, the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands, the house droppeth through. You know, I wonder sometimes that when the world looks at our Christianity, when the world looks at what we are building upon the foundation, I wonder if they just see a slum. I wonder if they see a neighborhood that is just broken down, just decrepit. Again, as the verse says, we're, we're not maintaining it. We're not taking care of it. We're, we're, not, we're not building a new. It's just falling apart. I wonder if our testimony just looks as if we are, are building a slum upon the foundation that Jesus Christ has laid for us. You know, we, we work hard on the affairs of this life so often. But on the affairs of eternity, on the affairs of the things that really matter, are we, are, have we become lazy? Have we become slothful? I wonder if our hearts and our spiritual state are, are just fall under the, the, this idea of, of being idle. And are the buildings that we have erected on Christ dilapidated, worn down structures that are in need of major repairs, or possibly even torn down and rebuilt. What do we need to do to demolish and begin a new, to build a new that will last? Look, this again, this last, this last week, we again, I, I mentioned this this morning, we heard some, we heard some preaching, and we were challenged in a, in a big way. But again, what is it that we're going to do about it? What are we going to do? You know, oftentimes revival is spoken of as a fire, you know, a revival fire. How many of you have actually built a fire before? Raise your hand if you've built a fire. Okay, so you know a little bit about it. So we think about building a fire, and we, you know, it's oftentimes not too difficult to get started, but after a while, to keep the fire burning, we have to clean some things out. You know, ash and soot and things like that build up, and the longer we go without cleaning that ash and soot out, that fire begins to very quickly fade and go out. You know, I wonder what, what ash and soot it is that we need to clean up in our lives in order for that fire of revival that, that was placed in us this week to continue to burn. You know, think about it this way. This is a Sunday night crowd. Many of you are, are faithful members of this church, and, and we appreciate that so very much. And, and you're here Sunday morning, Sunday night, oftentimes Wednesday night. Um, you know, and, and think about it again in terms of a fire. If you've got a fire built at your house, okay, and the only time that you show up to make sure that that fire continues to burn is Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. 
then what's, what's happening between Sunday and Wednesday, and Wednesday and Sunday? If we, if we leave a fire to itself, really just for a couple hours, it's going to go out. I can tell you this right now. When I wake up tomorrow, I need to be, I need to be cleaning out the soot, cleaning out the ash, adding wood to that fire to make sure that the fire continues to burn. If I don't do that tomorrow, then, then the fire begins to fade and go out. Especially by the time Wednesday comes around, if that, if that is the only logs that we're receiving, so to speak, or the only opportunity that we take to clean out the ash and the soot is, is twice a week, three times, three times a week, three services a week, then, then our, our fire is not going to continue to burn. It's not going to continue to go. What is it that we're doing every single day, moment by moment, to remove the soot and ash and add wood to the fire to keep that revival burning? Sometimes we've got to just repair, restore, and rebuild what is on that foundation. And, and, and I say sometimes, sometimes that's every day we've got to do that. We've got to rebuild it every single day. So a, a revived, healthy church is, is edified. It's, it's continuously growing and building up upon the foundation. How, how are we doing with that this evening? All right, let's go to number two. All right, what does, a, what does a revived, healthy church look like again? Number two, it walks fearing God, not man. It walks fearing God, not man. There's a phrase there in, the, in, nine, in Acts chapter 9, 31 again. It says, and walking in the fear of the Lord. Walking in the fear of the Lord. Anything and everything that we do should never ever be for the attention of man. To, to, put, to put the microscope on us so that we can, be, you know, we can be in the center of attention. Anything that we do should be catching the attention of God, not man. If, if, if all we want is to be noticed, then that notoriety among man is our reward, and it goes no farther than this temporal world. But when our motives are to please God, regardless of the attention that we get, then we're going to be rewarded eternally, forever. So where, where, are our, where are our rewards coming from this evening? Are our rewards just coming to us because we're being noticed? You know, am I, am I standing here just to sound eloquent and to make some good points and, and to really stir you up? Or am I saying what I'm saying because God directly gave me what to say? You know, do we, are we here this morning just to say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm here in church, look at me. Or I'm serving in a class or in the nursery or, or cleaning during the week or whatever the case may be. What is our motive? What is our intention? Is it, is it to be noticed? Is it, is it to be, get notoriety? Is it to just serve God and to do exactly what He has told us? I want you to notice this bullet, not man, but God. Not man with God. I want you to notice this. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, once you write that down. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Notice what the Bible says here. It says, Paul, an apostle. All right, so he identifies very specifically himself, who he is, his position. He's an apostle, but then look what it says in parentheses. Not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So Paul's saying that his, his conversion, his Christianity, his apostleship 
His servitude, every single thing that He has done, not one bit of it is, is by the calling of man. It is by the calling of God, by Jesus Christ Himself. Everything that we are, everything that we do, is, is not of man. We haven't accomplished it ourselves. No one else has put us in the position that, that we are in currently. No one else has, has given us the tools to do it, but God has. He's the one that has done it. We, and we've got to get our eyes off of man and on God. We've got to get our eyes off of a man and on the God. Not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. You know, who, who, who you are, what you are, and where you are, again, has been established of God. Every second of your life has been allowed and orchestrated of God. And yes, there, there are men and, and women, boys and girls in our lives that may play a role in where we are, but that is only because God has placed them there for a specific purpose. Hey, listen to this. If, if your eyes are on a person, a man as, or, or woman or whatever the case may be, and you cast responsibility on them for who you are, what you are, where you are, then, then your eyes are just simply not on God. You are not fearing God. You're, you're, you're fearing man. We have got to get to the place where our eyes are not on everyone that has wronged us, disappointed us, aggravated us, or hurt us. Or you could even say our eyes on people who have lifted, it up, lifted us up, who have, who have praised us, who have honored us. We've got to get our eyes off of man and get them on the God that has saved us and given us everything we need to accomplish what He has for us and to be a success in His eyes. Look, we're in Galatians 1. Look, look at verse 10. Look what Paul says about this. He says this, For do I now persuade men or God? You know, am I, is it my job tonight here to, to persuade you, me? No, that's God. God has to speak through me to persuade you. I'm not persuading men. I, I'm just pleasing God. Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So the moment that our motive just, just the second that our motive turns from pleasing God to pleasing men, we ought to just stop. We ought to just stop serving right at that moment because from that moment on, unless we change it, 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 it's worthless. It's not getting us anywhere, nor really anyone else who is paying attention to us. Look at verse, verse 11, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation or lifestyle in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. We, we know that Paul was, was very zealous within the, within the Jewish religion. His, his works were, were great works, but that's exactly what they were, just works. He, he, was, he was living within a religion and not a relationship with the one true God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, he says again, how that beyond measure, verse 13, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace. You realize that where you are today, 
God separated you from your mother's womb to be right where you are today. He has separated you unto it. What? Verse 16, to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. Notice what he's saying there. So he's saying, you know, after my conversion, after the Lord gave me my calling, I didn't go into Jerusalem. I didn't go seeking for Peter and James and John to learn of those, of those guys. Although, you know, that may have been a good thing to do. But what, what does it say he does there? All right, he, I didn't, verse 17, I didn't go to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. I went into Arabia, into the wilderness, and returned again into Damascus after three years. So for three years, he goes and gets alone with God and tries to learn and grow and, and, and take in everything that he can from the Lord. For three years, he does that. And then compare, compare the time length in verse 18. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. All right, so he spent three years with the Lord and then after 15 days with Peter, he's like, the Lord, the Lord did way, way more than this. I want to spend more time with him than I do with even Peter. Just 15 days. Verse 19, but other of the apostles saw I none, save, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed. So his testimony became known. And then look what verse 24 says, and they glorified God in me. They didn't glorify Paul. They glorified God through what he had done. They glorified God through, what, through the time he had, had spent here growing in the Lord and now preaching. They glorified God in me is what he says there. What, what, a, what an amazing testimony. What is our motive tonight? Is it, is it just man-centered or is it truly God-centered? We've got to get our motivations upon the Lord. And then the third thing tonight, a revived church operates in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. That's what the, that's what the last part of our, of our verse in Acts chapter 9 and verse 31 says. Let me read it again to you. It says, and we're edified, walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. You know, I think that we are not revived as a church so often. And, and again, I'm not saying this church necessarily, but as, as a whole, the church, of, uh, the, the church of Jesus Christ, because we flat out do not listen to the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. The moment that we were saved. The moment that we truly accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in us. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But that, that does not guarantee that we are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The dwelling, indwelling of the Holy Spirit guarantees our security uh, of our salvation in heaven forever. Right, the Bible says that it seals us. All right? that, so we can never lose our salvation because the Holy Spirit... It takes up residence inside of us. But that does not mean that we live filled with the Holy Spirit. When, truly, think about this, when was the last time the Holy Spirit spoke to you 
and you heard him speaking and the message was so clear that you, it was unmistakable. When was, when was the last time that happened? And that, that, doesn't happen, that doesn't happen by chance. It happens because we're in his word. It happens because we're praying. It's hap- it happens because we are wholeheartedly seeking after him. When was the last time the Holy Spirit directed you in a way that was unmistakable? When was the last time that that happened? You know, some amazing things happen when we listen and heed to the comforter that is inside of us. Some amazing things happen when we listen and heed to the comforter that is inside of us. And we will have no idea what it's like to live this way in the power of the Holy Spirit unless we practice it. Unless we listen. Unless, you know, I, I was thinking about this. When we, how often times when we pray that we just, we, we pray, we make our requests made known to God, and then, and then we say in, in Jesus' name, amen, and then we just move on. Move on with, with the rest of our day. How often do we just, really the only words we say is, Lord, I'm here, speak to me. And then we're just silent and listen to him speak to us. You know, if we, if we would take the time and practice that, I think you would be blown away at what he would tell you in those moments that you're just still in silence before him. You would be blown away. But we can't experience that unless we're willing to do it. Let's, let's turn to John chapter 14, and, and we're, we're not going to be going a whole lot longer here. John chapter 14, please. Let's, let's look at the comforter of the Holy, that, that's referred to here as the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, and I'm going to point out very quickly just some, some general things about the Holy Spirit that again, I, I think you know, but just some reminders. First of all, the comforter provides closeness with the God of the universe. Is, do you feel that closeness tonight? Or is there a closeness between you and God of the universe? Look at John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. This is Jesus speaking. He's, he's telling his, his disciples, I, you know, soon I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to ascend into heaven, but I'm going to send a comforter. Verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, and he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Look at that. It says, it says that he will abide with you forever. The, the word abide literally means to take up residence with, to never leave. That is what happens when we are, when we are saved. I said that earlier. He abides with us. It, it, it provides a closeness with the God of the universe that no one else can have unless they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Look at the second thing. The Comforter teaches us all things. All things. Look at verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. But he, will, but he shall teach you all things. You know, there is not a question that you have, not a doubt that you have, that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, cannot give you an answer for. But again, we seek it. We have to be still and silent before Him and, and knock and ask and seek, and He'll give it to us. 
The Comforter teaches us all things. Everything. There's nothing that He lacks. We lack everything, but He lacks nothing. We have to go to the one that lacks nothing when we feel like we're lacking everything. Number three, the Comforter reminds us of what Christ has taught us through the experiences of our lives and through His Word. That's the second half of that verse that we just read. And it says, And will bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit is going to remind us of His Word. The Holy Spirit is going to remind us of His promises. He's going to remind us of the experiences where, where we have been victorious through Him in our past and, and push us forward in, in His might and in His power and in His comfort and confidence. So He reminds us of what Christ has taught us. And then number four, the comforter points a glaring light on sin, Satan, and his devices. Look at chapter 16 of John. Just flip over a page to chapter 16, look at verse 8. This is still Jesus teaching and speaking. He says, and when He, the Holy Spirit, is come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on Me. Of righteousness because I go to My Father and ye see Me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. It sheds a light on the difference between what is sinful and what is righteous. This, this is very, very really basic stuff, but oftentimes we are so clouded to what truly is right and what truly is wrong is because we are not in tune with the Holy Spirit. We can't tell the difference sometimes between even what is right and wrong as Christians because we have pushed the Holy Spirit so far away that we're, it's just a distant whisper. We can't hear it, but again, the Lord is always waiting with arms open for us to come back so that voice can be heard loud and clear and can we, we can be given a clear picture of what truly is right and wrong. But it points a glaring light on what sin is, on, on who Satan is, and what his devices are. And then number five, the comforter guides to truth. He guides to truth. Verse 13 of John chapter 16, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. You know, we can be deceived so easily by what Satan does in our lives. The wiles of the devil. The Bible talks about we we are we are creatures that are so easily deceived. But if we are listening and drawing close to God and listening to His Holy Spirit, He will guide us into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He will He will shine a light down the path of our life and show us where we need to walk, what steps we need to take. And then the last thing, the Comforter will glorify Christ. And that's what, that is what we're designed to do, is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why we are here on this earth, to have a relationship with the Creator of the world and to glorify His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit in general, so that we can glorify Him, so that we can know how to do it. Look at verse 14. He, the Holy Spirit, shall glorify me and he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. He shall glorify me. When we're given a glimpse of truly who the Lord Jesus, he, things just change so quickly. 
when we, when we look in the face of Jesus and see who He truly is by, by the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit, everything around us just, just gets pushed aside and we see Him and glorify Him and, and live for Him and worship Him. You know, for the, for the rest of eternity, when, when, when we're either raptured out of here or we pass away and spend eternity with Him, that's what it's going to be. We're just going to be glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through service and through worship for, for the rest of eternity. Why not, why not start that process now? Why not take part in that now so that when we get to eternity, it's not something that's, 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 that we're almost not even familiar with. We need to be familiar with it now. He shall glorify me. You know, the, the Holy Spirit is, is referred to as a comforter. You know, I thought about this. You know, our, some, of our, some of our beds in our homes have comforters on them. You know, and, and their comforters are usually these big, pretty thick blankets that, that we put on top, on top of maybe other covers or sheets on the bed. And oftentimes, um, we, you know, we physically get cold. It gets cold outside and we get cold. And that, that's what happens in, in, our, in our Christian lives. We just get cold. Again, the fire goes out and we get cold. And I picture that comforter, the Holy Spirit, but also that comforter that, it, that is sometimes laying on our bed and how thick and how, how warm it is. But until we take that, that blanket, that, that large, you know, thick, warm blanket and wrap ourselves in it, we just remain cold. We, if, if we don't take the steps to allow the comforter to truly comfort us, then we're just going to remain cold. The fire is going to be out and, and we're just going to live mediocre Christian lives that's really not going to amount to a whole lot if we don't wrap ourselves in the Holy Spirit, the comforter. Last thing, and then, and then I'm done. Back in, back in Acts chapter 9, in verse 31, the verse that we've focused on tonight, number four, the result of a revived, healthy church is multiplication. Multiplication. I'm going to read the whole verse again, and we're almost done here. Acts chapter 9 and verse 31, that had the church's rest throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. They were multiplied, meaning more and more people wanted what these Christians had. Do people look at us? Do people look at our church and want what we have? Are we doing our job and in, in, in going and telling other people about Him so that, so that the gospel message is multiplied and so that Christians are multiplied, and so that the church is multiplied. You know, that is our, that is our great, greatest commandment, the great commission, as it is often called, is to go and to tell other people about Jesus Christ. And, and I can guarantee you, when we, when we are not living a revived life, when we, are, when we are not living in a way where we are building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, and we're, we're, not, we're not living in, in a way that is, is fearing God and not man. And, and when, we're, when we're not living in a way that, that operates under the comfort of the Holy Ghost, I can guarantee you this, we're not winning souls. We're, we're, we're not doing what the Lord has commanded us to do, to go. And our testimony is not on display, drawing people in. So where, where is the multiplication that it is talked about here? If it's not happening, it means that we are not revived. That we are not living for God and living in the comfort of the Holy Spirit 
the way that He has demanded and, and, and commands us to do. And the Lord, the Lord really, really has spoken to my heart this week. He really has, has spoken to my heart so much this week through the messages that we heard. But please, don't think that it just has to stop. Don't, don't think that, that now, okay, yeah, we had a great, we had a great week of messages. Let's just, let's just move on with, with our lives and continue to be busy and doing our own thing. It doesn't have to be that way. We can stay revived. The fire can remain lit. But we as a church, as individuals, have to make the decision every single day to continue that and to live in that. And if we as a church decide to do that, then, then the multiplication is going to happen. There, you know, you know, we're talking about building, building a gym, and, and, and I think that's needed, and there's always some money in that fund. You know, imagine, imagine what the Lord would do if we, just, if, if, our, if, our, if we doubled in the next year or two. You know, God can do that. He can do those kind of things if, if we live a revived Christian life. We, we can trust Him for it. He promises it, that if, if we go, there are going to be results. His Word does not return void. So where where are we at? Where are we at with all of this tonight? Again, I don't I don't know how the Lord is is speaking to you, but here in just a moment, uh, Miss Jessica, you can go ahead and come. We're going to sing um, number number four ninety, and I, I imagine we'll we'll have it on the screen. But the the song is "Revive Us Again," "Revive Us Again." We I believe we've been revived this past week through the preaching, but it can't stop. So let's just continue to ask the Lord to revive us again. So if you could stand with me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then we're going we're gonna to sing this song. And if the Lord is speaking to you this evening, do business with Him. If, if already since Wednesday, you got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, now today's Sunday, if in those four days that, that fire rev- revival you've already seen starting to go out, come, come forward and ask the Lord to revive, revive you again. And, and, and continue to keep that, that fire going as we move forward for Him. It is something that we have to maintain every single day.